0: My son, Micah, when he was two years old, he knew all his colors. I mean, not even just the normal colors, he knew the colors like chartreuse and indigo and burgundy and mauve. Like We were like, man, this kid is a genius. He's a color savant. And so he started branching out then into like shades of colors. And so he would say, mommy, dark indigo, mommy, Light mauve. I mean, I don't even know what light mauve is. We were like, wow, he's, we're so proud of him. Until the day he looked at me, squinted his little two-year-old eyes, and he goes, Mommy, points at my teeth, light yellow. <laughs> no more colors for you, kid. <laughs> we're done with that. No more colors. No one likes to be insulted. And I think that is partly what is so puzzling and even shocking about this passage that we're looking at today. Right here in Matthew chapter 15. Let me just read a section of it starting in verse 22. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, "'Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David! My daughter is tormented by a demon!' But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him saying, Send her away. She keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. And then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was instantly healed. So are we gonna let Jesus get away with this? (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't let my 10-year-old son talk to someone like that, treat someone like that, right? And yet here is the savior of, of, of all humankind. Are we gonna let him? I think this is one of those passages. Maybe you don't have this. Sometimes when I'm reading, I run into these passages that I mean, they're just weird. <laughs> I'll read and I'll go, well, um, what's for lunch? And I feel like this is kind of one of those patterns, like, should I just keep reading? I don't know what to do with this. And I want to suggest that Jesus is using this conversation with this woman to expose what is in the heart to expose what's in the heart of the disciples, to expose what is in this Canaanite woman's heart, and if we're willing to expose what's in our heart as well. But I think it's helpful to look not just at this passage, but also the passage immediately preceding this passage right here in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Matthew introduces us to these guys who are super religious, these Pharisees, teachers of the law, And they come to Jesus and they have a bone to pick with Jesus. They wanna make sure Jesus knows how wrong his disciples are. And of course, by default, how right they are. And, And Matthew's careful to point out to us that these religious leaders have traveled all the way from Jerusalem. And Jesus is in Galilee, region of Galilee at this point. So we're talking about like a three, four day journey that they've traveled just to confront Jesus, just to complain to Jesus about this one thing. Here's, his, here's their beef. Their beef is that the disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. It actually sounds like kind of a reasonable request, doesn't it, right? Like if we've learned anything in this past year, um, to me, the Pharisees almost sound, sound a little more like the, the CDC than they do anything else. Wash your hands before you eat. But I think it's important to remember though that the Pharisees, like, they don't know about germs, they don't understand communicable diseases, they don't know how that kind of thing spreads. Uh, the reason why they are confronting Jesus around this rabbinic tradition has nothing to do with hygiene and it has everything to do with ceremonial purity. This is one of those rules that just got tacked on somewhere along the way. And for the Pharisees, this is a hill to die on. It's not like the Pharisees are trying to do the disciples a favor, like, hey, just wanna make sure you don't get strep throat. This is them going, guess what? You're filthy, you're impure, you're unclean. And by the way, we're a lot better than you. (laughs) That's what they're trying to do. And I love what Jesus does here. If you read this passage, Jesus basically steps up and he gives these Pharisees a verbal spanking. It's like one of those (laughs) mic drop moments for Jesus. He says in verse 11, Look, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. He goes on, verse 17 Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart? And this is what defiles a person. Jesus is basically going, huh, y'all aren't gonna come up here and tell me that my guys are unclean. When you have this filth coming out of your mouth and we know where that filth comes from, it comes from your heart and it ain't pretty. Can you imagine what the disciples are doing right now? You know that moment when you are pretty sure you're gonna get in trouble? and you, you're pretty sure you probably deserve to get in trouble. And then all of a sudden, the last minute, someone comes along and, and sweeps in, and you're off the hook. Like, disciples are probably over in the corner doing this little dance of vindication, like, that's right, Jesus, you tell them. Those, you know, those Pharisees, they think they're so high and mighty. They think they're so much better than everyone else. Put them in their place. They're probably over like, yeah, <laughs> I imagine them walking away from this exchange going, man, that's right, that's right. We're not the unclean ones. They're the unclean ones. Those Pharisees, they just don't get it. Only as we keep reading, we see that it's, it's not just the Pharisees who don't get it. The disciples don't get it. Sometimes we don't get it either. So, Jesus is not just, as we keep reading, we'll see that Jesus isn't just calling out the Pharisees and calling out their judgment and their pride, but he goes on to call out the disciples, to call out their elitism, their their pride, their self righteousness. And he does that for us too. Um, How many of you guys are coffee drinkers? I love coffee. Uh, Pastor Steve's not here today, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on him for a minute. He can't defend himself. (laughs) Imagine for me that Pastor Steve ran up on this stage, shoved me for no reason, and I spill my coffee. Probably because I, you know, said something about the Detroit Lions or something like that. I don't know. Because they're terrible. (laughs) So why did I spill my coffee? Why did I spill my coffee? I think we want to say that I spilled my coffee because Pastor Steve has anger issues. He doesn't, I'm just kidding. But the real reason I spilled my coffee is because I had coffee in my cup. If I'd had tea in my cup, I would have spilled tea. If I had had water in my cup, I would have spilled water because whatever is in my cup is what spills out. Whatever is in my heart is what Spills out. And this is really what Jesus is getting at here. When he says in verse 11, Look, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, it's what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles a person. So, what, what Jesus goes on to do here is yes, he's pointed out the dark heartedness of these Pharisees but he's turning his attention to the disciples. And he's gonna provide a real life example, an opportunity for them to see what is actually in their heart, to jostle their cups, so to speak, and see what comes out. Because here's the thing, we're real good at pointing out all of the judgment and the pride and the self-righteousness and the ugly hearts of other people. It's a lot harder sometimes for us to see that in our own hearts, isn't it? So Matthew tells us that this woman comes to them. She comes to them, she's a Canaanite woman. And so we know that she's a Gentile. And any good Jew would wanna have nothing to do with her. She's a Gentile, she's a woman. And these disciples are good Jews, at least today they are. I mean, they probably, I think they're kind of in the pinnacle right here of being good Jews, because they're flying high on this encounter they just had with the Pharisees. I mean, these religious leaders who traveled all the way from Jerusalem to talk to Jesus, they watched Jesus put them in their place and defend the, defend the disciples. And they're probably going, that's right. Like, they're probably going, man, like, we're going places. Our stock is going up. We're hitting the big time, Jesus. And they're kind of flying high. And then all of a sudden, this Canaanite woman comes and they want to go, man, She's filthy she's unclean. She's impure. Not seeing that this is exactly what the Pharisees had just done with them like a day earlier. And so Jesus is going, all right, y'all, you really don't get it, do you? And so he uses this as a teachable moment, and I, I love the way that Jesus does this. He, he employs this ancient wisdom, and it's a kind of wisdom that we've seen in Scripture before. It goes all the way back to Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. Maybe you remember the story. There were two mothers that came that came to Solomon, and they were fighting over who's they had the, they had a baby, and they're both saying, "This is my baby. No, it's my baby." Only one of them was lying. Because that night, in the middle of the night, she had rolled over on her child, and that child had smothered to death. And by the time she woke up and she realized it, the child was dead. So, real sneaky like, she took that baby and she switched places with this other mother's child. And by the time that mother woke up and she saw this baby, but she's a mom, like she knows this is not my child. And so here they are in front of King Solomon both saying this child is theirs. King Solomon does this thing. He turns the tables on them. He says, all right, tell you what, let's cut the baby in half. Half can go to this mother, half to the other mother, problem solved. Only the mother who's the real mother goes, no, 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 it's okay, she can have my child. And in that moment, every single person in the room knew exactly who the real mother was. There's no inquisition, there's no trial, there's no detaining of witnesses, just this ancient wisdom turning the tables in such a way that what is in their heart spills out. He jostled their cups just enough. And this is the same kind of wisdom that Jesus uses right here. It's interesting, she comes to him and Jesus does exactly what the disciples would have expected him to do, exactly what his culture would have expected him to do. He ignores her. Only she keeps going and she keeps getting louder and louder until finally the the disciples come to Jesus like, will you please send her away? Jesus is jostling their cup. Do you see what's coming out? you see what's coming out of their hearts? Only they don't see it. They really don't. They don't get it. Because everyone around them and everyone back home and everyone they grew up with like, justifies that same response. They feel completely justified in their judgment because they're like, well, that's what everybody else says. Listen carefully. When we surround ourselves with people who look like us, who talk like us, who think like us, who vote like us, who live like us. It's a breeding ground for this kind of pride and judgment and arrogance and self-righteousness to flourish. Where in your life are you surrounding yourself with meaningful relationships with people who are markedly different than you are? Okay, so Jesus is employing this ancient wisdom and he does a second thing that the disciples would have totally expected him to do. First he ignored, now he insults her. He says, I'm busy dealing with the lost children of Israel. It's not right to take bread away from the children and feed it to the dogs. Now I know that... Jesus uses a diminutive form of dogs. There's kind of like saying puppies, but like, can, can we just agree that I don't think he meant it as a compliment? <laughs> Remember that uh, dance of vindication the disciples were doing when Jesus was putting the Pharisees in their place where they were like, that's right, Jesus. Man, I, I imagine those disciples are doing that same dance of vindication right now where they're like, That's right, Jesus. You put her in her place. You tell her how it is. Only she comes back again. And she says, yes, but even even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. And this is it, guys. This is the moment. This is where Jesus does it. He's been jostling their cups. He's been jostling their hearts for a while now. And this is the moment where he turns the tables on them, where he says something absolutely shocking. He says, oh woman, your faith is great. Some translations say, oh woman, your faith is something else. (laughs) I love that. But can you imagine the disciples in this moment and it has to just sting a little bit more when you look at the context for just a second, because you know just a few days earlier, if you look at the end of chapter 14 in Matthew, just a few days earlier, the disciples had been rowing a boat across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus came walking to them across the water and Peter, who's, you know, your go big or go home guy, gets out of the boat and he's like, I'm coming, Jesus, and he starts walking and he gets distracted by the wind of the waves, he starts to sink, and Jesus reaches his hand out and saves him from drowning. Anyone remember what Jesus says to Peter in that moment? <laughs> he says, Oh you of little faith, why do you doubt? Can you imagine Peter and the disciples with that ringing in their ears, being in this space where Jesus says to a Canaanite woman, oh, woman, your faith is great. The disciples were shocked. They were shocked. It's the same surprise that we feel when we ask the manager, ask for the manager and a woman comes out or when we meet the boyfriend they've been talking about for months and he has a different color skin than we expected. It's the embarrassment we feel when we learn that that disheveled guy that we dismissed is actually a millionaire. It's the denial that we feel when our coworker tries to point out a mistake that we make and we're unwilling to listen. It's the self-preservation we feel when someone who loves us tries to tell us how we've hurt them and we shut them down. This is our human nature. It's our ugly bent. And if you're human, you struggle with this. Jesus will jostle our cups. Maybe you can think back through days and weeks and even months leading up to today, and you can start to pinpoint ways that God has been jostling your cup and he's been allowing you to see some of the stuff that's been coming up out of your heart. And the question is, will we ignore it? Will we make excuses for it? Or will we pay attention to it? And here's a hard thing, I think, sometimes, because I think we're afraid if we pay attention to it, that it will crush us because that's how it feels. That's how it feels. But Jesus wants us to learn something here today from the Canaanite woman that provides a way out of our dark-heartedness, so that we don't feel crushed by the, the, the reality of what might be coming out of our hearts, but we can actually find a way out. So let's take a look. We have looked at the way that Jesus confronted the hearts of the Pharisees. He's confronted the hearts of the disciples. And now I wanna look at what Jesus points out here in this Canaanite woman's heart. She has to be my absolute favorite, one of my favorites. I mean, she's sassy, she's brassy, she's bold, she's a desperate mother, she'll do anything for her kid. She's a believer, she has this deep knowing that Jesus is the only thing that can save her. So she comes to Jesus and Jesus ignores her. She gets louder. Jesus shuts her down, she pops right back up again. If you actually look at this exchange between her and Jesus, she is being like low-key argumentative. She's not using her inside voice as she talks to Jesus. And here is the thing, her sassy backtalk delights Jesus, he loves it. He exclaims, oh woman, your faith is great. And this is this is this beautiful moment where do you see what Jesus did here? He didn't just turn the tables on the Pharisees or turn the tables on the disciples, but he turns the tables on this woman too. He jostles her cup enough so that what is in her heart spills out, and what spills out is great faith. Jesus allows this woman to become the teacher. It's this woman that, that you know, her actions, her words end up exposing the prideful hearts of the disciples. Could Jesus have done some sort of like a tongue lashing like he did with the Pharisees where he just like told his disciples off? Like, guy, y'all don't get it again. Yes, he does that in some other places. <laughs> could he have gathered everybody around and then like another Sermon on the Mount moment where he just kind of pontificated on about prideful hearts? Or, yes, he could, but instead in this moment, He chooses to give this woman center stage. He chooses to allow her to become the teacher. And in doing so, he demonstrates a way out of our prideful hearts. He knows that the way out is not power over self-righteousness, manipulation, self-preservation. He knows that the way out is power under. It's that power of humility that comes alongside someone, actually comes underneath someone and lifts them up and listens to them and allows them to teach us something. How do we access that kind of power? There's a power in humility. I think so many times when we think about humility, we think about it being something that we have like, there's things we have to like slough off, things we have to give up. But I think that there's It's actually a power that we have to take on. (laughs) Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. He made himself nothing, becoming becoming made in human likeness, going all the way to death, death on a cross. Like it's that power that we have to access. So how do we access that kind of power, the power under instead of power over? How do we access that kind of power, this power of humility that allows us to come alongside people, that allows us to see into our dark-heartedness and allow God to transform us? I think we access that power the same way that the Canaanite woman accessed Jesus' power. There is something about this woman's faith This is kind of the last thought I want to leave you with this morning, but I don't want you to miss it. There's something about her faith. She is fully convinced that the power available to her in one crumb is just as good as the power available to her in an entire loaf. Think about it. This, This woman would have been well acquainted with making bread, I'm guessing. She'd probably done it before. She knew how bread worked. She knew that she could... Add all the ingredients, the flour and the salt and the yeast and all these things, mix it together. And she knew that that the ingredients that were available in an entire loaf of bread were the same ingredients that were available in a tiny crumb. She knew that a crumb from God is powerful enough to meet her, her greatest need. She knew that a crumb from God is powerful enough to satisfy her deepest longing. If you had asked this woman, would you like to have a loaf of bread or a crumb of bread? Would you like have a loaf of God's power or a crumb of God's power? She'd be like, I don't care. It's the same. God's power, God's power. Just I need access to Jesus. And it is this kind of faith, friends, mm-hmm. that not only exposes our hearts, but transforms them. It's this kind of faith. I mean, maybe you are feeling like what you've been getting from God lately are crumbs. You see what seems like other people just loasting on, you know, just eating loaves and you're going, I just, I don't even know if I can muster together a crumb of faith. And I want you to know this morning that whether it's a loaf or a crumb, it is the same power to heal. It is the same power to restore It is the same power to forgive. It's the same power to transform. It's the same power to make us humble.